Hi, my name is Kim Doyle, Tax Director with Grant Thornton. Welcome to Tax Time, our monthly podcast covering the latest in tax. Today I'll be discussing key tax updates, which include the COVID-19 support schemes, some insights from the Department of Finance International Tax Seminar that was held last month, and also what does this Commission on Taxation and Welfare's new role mean and what will it involve on the taxpayer side? I'm also joined by my colleague Anthony Crew, Transfer Pricing Director with Grant Thornton. So on the topic of the COVID-19 support schemes, and I think the key news in this area is around extension to two key schemes. That is the EWSS, or more formally known as the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, and the other scheme, the CRIS, are also more officially known as the Covert Restriction Support Scheme. So last month, the Dáil approved motions to extend both these schemes until the end of June. So these schemes were due to expire at the end of March 2021. However, there is provision in the tax law to allow the Minister for Finance to extend both these schemes beyond March. However, the schemes cannot be extended for no later than 31st of December this year. So what I found interesting from the opening remarks um, by the Minister for Finance when he was before the, the doll in relation to extending both these schemes is this is insight into the cost of how much these schemes really have, I suppose, taken or what has been the tax take of these schemes from the government to date. So while the temporary wage subsidy scheme or the TWIS, which is the former wage subsidy scheme, expired at the end of August last year, it cost almost three billion for the period of time it was in operation. So the new, the current wage subsidy scheme or the EWIS or the employment wage subsidy scheme, that's been in place since September of last year. And so far that has cost around 2.8 billion. And I think about half a billion has actually gone in PRSI. So, you know, this, the two wage schemes so far have cost nearly 6 billion. The other scheme, the CRIS, is, is approaching 0.5 billion. So I suppose not as costly to the state, but still a fair chunk all the same. One of the other schemes is the tax debt warehousing scheme. And certainly that's been, I suppose, a life support for many businesses out there because it gives them the ability to warehouse their tax liabilities as the fall due. So they can pay them at a later stage when hopefully they're in a more financially viable situation to do so. So since the tax debt warehousing scheme has been introduced in March of last year, it's actually there's been debt of nearly 2.3 billion in warehouse so far. So I suppose if you do the basic sums on the figures I've just mentioned, you're looking at, you know, a roughly total of nine billion so far, you know, in 13, 14 months that we're dealing with this pandemic in supports for businesses that really is under the kind of support or the control of the Department of Finance. And also these schemes are actually being administered by revenue. Another scheme which was expected to have the cost of state much more than actually it has to date is this stay and spend scheme. Now you may recall this scheme was introduced um, in July of last year and really the whole focus is around the hospitality sector. So what this day and spend scheme offers taxpayers is a potential tax credit or essentially what that means is tax money back, money back into your pocket of around 20% on eligible expenditure. So there's certain terms and conditions around what that elig eligible expenditure is, but really it's anything, you know, costs on hotel, B&B, guest house, so any kind of holiday accommodation and any food and drink. Now, it's eating food and drinks and not takeaway services. Now, as we all know, you know, over the last number of months, we've been, I suppose, dealing with level five restrictions. So we, I suppose many taxpayers have not had the opportunity to book or, you know, may have holidays here in Ireland or, you know, sit in a restaurant, hotel, etc. So really the benefit of this scheme, you know, isn't isn't come to light because we haven't had the um availability to do so. 
So really it's not cost the state much. Now this scheme is due to expire at the end of April and many people were expecting it to be extended beyond April considering these level five restrictions. But recently in response to a parliamentary question, the Minister for Finance said no. You know, he, he's clearly indicated that he does not plan to extend this stay and spend scheme, certainly not over the summer months. Now, his view is that, you know, while he said he was mindful of the significant difficulties that remain to be faced by the hospitality sector, which this scheme was introduced to support and, you know, has not done so given the other um, public health restrictions. He said he must balance the broad interest of all taxpayers. And I suppose he said, you know, what I took from what he said was he really doesn't believe that extending the scheme over the summer months where people perhaps, you know, certainly hopefully will be holding at home in Ireland and enjoying, you know, the benefits of being able to go stay in hotels, B&Bs, etc. He doesn't feel that leaving the scheme in place over the summer months would best serve the interests of all taxpayers. So what he did indicate, though, and is interesting and something we certainly will be keeping a watch on, is that he may take stock again after the summer months. And by that, I take it to mean that the stay and spend scheme may be reintroduced or some scheme in a similar format will be introduced maybe from autumn onwards. But for now, I don't think we're going to see, see an extension to scheme from May onwards. But again, as I said, we'll keep a watch on this. So just moving away from the COVID-19 support schemes and some key insights from the International Tax Conference that was held by the Department of Finance last month, which I joined. So on this virtual seminar, I heard from the Minister for Finance, as well as speakers from the OECD, the European Commission. There was other jurisdictions and there was key stakeholders on the Irish and US side. What I took from that, and I suppose what, what I recall um, is key in my mind, was around the Minister for Finance's opening remarks when he provided an insight into Ireland's position on international tax developments. And I suppose the big topic of discussion on this conference was around the OECD's proposals for a global minimum tax rate. And the Minister for Finance reminded us all of his reservations around such a minimum tax rate because he felt, I suppose, it would be used more as a tool of kind of, I suppose, tax, bringing tax into the larger countries. And then, you know, tax rates and tax policy generally are legitimate levers, he said, to compensate for the advantages of scale, location, resources, etc. that smaller or that larger companies would have over smaller countries. And he felt, he said he felt anyway, that the ability to set your tax rate um, should be left um, as part of domestic legislation. Thinking of domestic tax rates, I suppose on Ireland's 12.5% corporation tax rate, the minister did um, make some remarks on this. And one of the key points that I took away from it was he said that it's he feels it's a fair rate and it's within the range of a healthy tax competition. And, you know, he, he really kind of confirmed the commitment that the Irish government have to maintaining that 12.5% corporation tax rate. However, he did note, you know, that the right agreement at the OECD level can bring stability to international tax frameworks and that will be critical for businesses and you know countries certainly as we emerge from the pandemic. The minister's opening remarks then were followed by two panel sessions with Irish and international speakers who really shared their views on the OECD's proposals under this BEPS um, so that's base erosion profit shift and there's two um, projects that are called pillar one and pillar two proposals and there were some key insights as well from the discussions Really what we're expecting to see in July of this year, or certainly summertime anyway, that we'll have some updates, you know, from the OECD on their proposals and kind of in parallel to this as well, the EU is going to push ahead with its own proposals 
in the area, I suppose, of digital tax and international tax reform. And we're, again, we're expecting to see something from the EU around June, July time as well. Another development um, of late is around, I suppose, what we were expecting when we were reviewing the programme for government is the establishment of a commission on taxation and welfare. So the Minister for Finance recently announced the establishment of this commission. And as part of the announcement, he gave us some insight into what the job of this commission will be. And really, it's quite it's quite broad when, when you drill down into it. But but on a high level, like the commission is tasked with identifying how we can use the tax and welfare systems to support economic activity, increase employment and prosperity, but also at the same time being aware of or taking into account as with the impact of the COVID-19 emergency, the aging demographics, digital um, companies, digital distribution or disruption and automation and it, then also the, the commission also has to take into account the long-term strategic commitments of government which were uh, clearly set out by government a number of months back regarding the whole area of health housing and climate it's not an easy task certainly and um, for the commission on taxation and welfare now while we know who the chairperson of the commission will be the members are yet to be appointed and the minister of finance told us that the, the members will be appointed in the coming weeks and really, this is to, I suppose, the members will be picked around the basis of their expertise to fulfil these broad objectives of the Commission's work. And we expect them to be taken, the members to be taken from areas such as taxation, obviously, welfare, economics, legal, and maybe broader civil society. The first report from the Commission on Taxation and Welfare is not due to be set um, before the Minister of Finance until July of 2022. So I suppose we have to wait um, a number of months yet before we see any recommendations, but it is certainly um, an area we'll be keeping a close watch on. I'm now joined by my colleague, Anthony Crew. Anthony is our Transfer Pricing Director with Grant Thornton. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for joining me today to discuss the Irish transfer pricing rules and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic that you're seeing on companies' transfer pricing regime. Just to set the scene for us, Anthony, you know, what is transfer pricing and really what do companies need to be aware of when it comes to their transfer pricing regimes? Hi, Kim. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Transfer pricing really is um, the, the term that tax authorities use to describe transactions that take place between parties that are connected. So businesses that are, have a connection, either they're owned by the same people or they are part of the same group or there's some sort of connection between them. And transfer pricing really is a, a, an attempt to replace those controlled transactions so where you've got control on both sides with what would have happened if the, the businesses hadn't been connected or the companies hadn't been connected. So it's trying to build in a bit of commerciality that might not be there in reality because the, there's a degree of control over both sides of the transaction. Thanks, Anthony, for setting the scene for us there around transfer pricing. I know you spent a considerable time, you know, in your career working with the HM Revenue and Customs in the UK. And certainly we've seen on the Irish side, you know, there's been a lot of changes to the transfer pricing legislation, a lot of new rules which came into force in January 2020. Given your experience um, with the UK tax authorities, you know, how do you think on the Irish side, you know, our revenue will implement the transfer pricing legislation? Right, well, you're absolutely right. I, I spent 28 years with HM Revenue and Customs in the UK. So I was actually dealing with transfer pricing probably before you were born, Kim, but um, before the OECD guidelines have been introduced into the UK. So effectively, the similar situation that has existed in, in Ireland until the 1st of uh, January 2020. 
Um, back then, the the way that HMRC approached transfer pricing was fairly inconsistent. It was patchy. The coverage, um, you know, which entities were being looked at, wasn't particularly well thought through, and what that created was a great deal of uncertainty for businesses. And that was part of the the thinking behind um, following the OECD guide guidance and, and incorporating that into the UK legislation. And that's exactly the the point in the journey that uh, Irish revenue has reached now. What I'm sure revenue will will do from this point on is adopt a risk based approach. So they'll be looking across uh, all the potential businesses, groups in Ireland where transfer pricing might be a risk, uh, might be an area where they can get additional tax. And they'll want to make sure that they're looking at all sectors and looking at all tiers and levels within those sectors. So they'll, they'll want to make sure they've got full coverage across Ireland to make sure that uh, transfer pricing is operating correctly and where it's not they'll want to challenge that um, with a view to Im improving the, the the tax take in, in Ireland. Now obviously um, revenue doesn't have um, unlimited resources so they'll want to make sure that they're picking winners where they'll get the, the biggest bang for their buck and also bring in the largest amounts of revenue from the, the businesses operating in Ireland. So that will be where their focus is but it'll be um, they'll they'll try and make sure that they're approaching this in a in a thought through prioritised manner, because that that way they'll they'll be able to to make sure that it's being applied consistently, and that the Irish revenue is getting the, the maximum amounts of tax that it can, with the new legislation that's coming um, under transfer pricing. Certainly, I, I can imagine, you know, anything that the Irish Revenue can do to improve the tax take would be very much welcome. As I've just said earlier in this podcast, we've seen the cost of the schemes, the COVID-19 schemes, you know, have taken a huge chunk. You know, we're talking nearly nine billion out of the, you know, the Irish government's purse. So I'd, I'd imagine, you know, revenue, certainly, as you said, Anthony, will be focusing on any tax area that they can potentially increase the monies coming into the state. And considering what you've just said around revenues focus, like a risk based approach and to, I suppose, want to get the biggest bang for their book and, you know, as full coverage as possible. Is there anything really like companies in this area can do, I suppose, one, I suppose, to reduce the risk of being on revenue's hit list? You know, revenue will be out there certainly looking for as much as they can. And if they are on the hit list, you know, is there anything they, that they should be mindful of if they do, say, receive a revenue inquiry around their transfer pricing structures? Well, the I, I think it will be wise for all businesses that might potentially um, have a transfer pricing issue to be well aware of this and to plan ahead, not not to leave things to, to the last minute um, and, and start thinking about it when they're about to submit the, the tax returns. The the key thing that they need to do is, is first of all, to think about transfer pricing. Um, does it apply to me? Does it apply to our business? Is it something that we should be doing something about? And, you know, they can always talk to the, their advisors about that um, to discuss it, but the the overriding recommendation would be to prepare documentation. The the new rules, obviously there, there are limits uh, and de minimis limits on who's affected by these rules, but effectively what's what's been introduced now is what's called the master file and local file regimes. A master file is um, a, a report that's prepared for a, a globally operating group that sets out what that group does, what its main risks are, what its main drivers are, who its main competitors are, and how it operates in, in various territories. And a local file is basically that taken down to the territorial level. 
Um, in some countries, it, it it refers to all the operations within a, a particular territory. But in Ireland specifically, a local file refers to each company. So in theory, at least, um, if you're affected by the, the if you're above the levels and the levels are, are quite high, um, the the level for the master file needs to be turnover in excess of 250 million euro each year and for a local file it's 50 million euro and that's not just in in ireland that's 50 million globally so if you're in a group which um has turnover over 50 million you need to prepare a local file if it's over 250 million euro um, then you need a, a master file as well revenue have actually said that they won't insist on a local file for each and every entity you've got in Ireland. Um, you can adopt what's called the country file approach, which means that you prepare an overarching document that looks at all the operations in Ireland, but the financial information within that document needs to be able to be interrogated easily to demonstrate what the, the levels are at each entity. Um, so it, it, there needs to be a lot of detail there in, in terms of finance, but the commentary around what the, the business does and how it operates, that can be um, kept fairly short but um, essentially so to, to try and reduce the risk of being uh, picked up if you've got that documentation in place and it produces um, a range of arm's length answers you know so basically look at the transaction that and the pricing of the transaction that happens between controlled entities and then look at how that might have been priced if those entities have been independent if you can make sure that your return is is submitted using that arm's length range so that you're within that arm's length range then that is effectively the starting point for for dealing with an inquiry from revenue because you can say we've looked at this we've looked at the our comp competitors and, and comparable data this is the answer this is what we've used in our return so therefore we've we've met the the requirements for transfer pricing um, and as i said the the key thing is not to leave it to the last minute do it now and make sure you you document all the decisions you take, all the processes that you um, employ. And I would certainly recommend speaking to a trusted advisor and somebody who's got plenty of experience in transfer pricing. Interesting, Anthony. Certainly, you know, what I took from that then is, as you said, planning is, is very much, you know, key. And then therefore it's all about documenting. So keeping all these record keeping or records and um, as you said, you know, there's lots of different rules and thresholds and, and regulations and, and perhaps, you know, touch, get in touch with your with your advisor around how you document all these um, transactions, etc. You know, I, I've heard I've heard you say a lot there about, you know, planning, consideration, documentation. But I, I suppose around if we think about trading and the way actually companies do things themselves um, like is there should they change how the way to trade as a result of transfer pricing or, or you know or what's your thoughts on that side not really um really as i said earlier transfer pricing is a, uh, it's a it's a method for trying to replicate what happens or what would happen in a genuinely commercial situation and because transfer pricing looks at a situation where there is control over the transaction on both sides, so they're either under joint ownership or, or both entities are owned by the same person, then transfer pricing really tries to replicate that and, and, and look at the transaction as if, right, what would have happened? Not what, not what actually happened, but what would have happened. Um, so in terms of whether the trade, the way you trade should change because of the transfer pricing rules, well, it shouldn't really because it, it's 
transfer pricing is theoretically, if you like, it's not practical. It's not saying you must do it this way. It's saying you've got to price it and you've got to show in your profits that even if you paid a certain amount in the actual transaction with a related um, party, what would have happened and what I've included in my my return is what would have happened between um, independent parties. So if you one thing that, that perhaps tax authorities don't always um, recognize or accept is that within a group, for example, you can have different divisions who are effectively competing to show the best results within the, the overall group. And so what you end up with there is genuine commerciality and real negotiations within a, a, a controlled transaction because you've got one division wanting to to get the best price for for what it's selling and you've got uh, the other division that's buying that that doesn't want to pay over the odds so you've got genuine tension there you've got genuine commerciality and what's actually in the accounts is um, a negotiated result the the reason i mentioned documentation and stress that is because if you don't document that 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 process that internal process produces an arm's length result then the the tax authorities will look at that transaction and say well it's controlled therefore it's not arm's length therefore that price can't be right you've got to be able to demonstrate that it's right you've got to be able to demonstrate that you've had that internal negotiation that matches what would have happened externally and you can use data to demonstrate that that's that's the person you've got to so that's the importance of, of documentation in this process um the other thing is that the Transfer pricing should, the aim of it is to make sure that profits are recognised where real value has been added in a process. So if you've manufactured some goods, you need you should be paid for those goods at a reasonable market rate. That's what transfer pricing tries to, to put in place because you may have underpriced or overpriced those um, transactions for, what, for any reason, um, just for convenience for that's the way you've always done it. But transfer pricing tries to rectify that in inverted commas and and actually put it as if the, the, the transaction had been done with an independent uh, entity. So it's about recognizing where the value is. That's the way you trade would normally do that. Um, if you're in a commercial situation, if you've produced something of value, you want paying for that value. That's what transfer pricing is trying to replicate. And that's, that's why. Um, the way you trade shouldn't really change uh, unless the way you trade is is particularly artificial. Um, but the, the transfer pricing will rectify that and that it will make sure that the profits that you include in your, your return are at an arm's length rate. Okay, um, so what about COVID-19 then? I assume, you know, companies have been impacted certainly around the way to trade and, you know, is, is there any tips there for companies dealing with COVID-19 in, in, on your side, in your experience? Yeah, I mean, it, I know it was something that uh, Sasha Karen's mentioned on an earlier podcast, um, the impact of, of COVID-19, um, because one of the, th I've mentioned a few times that what, what we would do when we we're looking at transfer pricing is use external data to, to demonstrate that um, the prices that have been used are the same that would have been used um, in comparable transactions between independent parties. Now, most of that data, it lags by about 12 months. So you use the previous year's data to say, well, this is what would have happened um, and, and it's close enough because there's not been any major shifts. The problem is that um, because of the pandemic, there has been a major shift um, from 12 months ago. It, it, the, the data in 2019 
for some industries compared to the data for 2020 when it comes through will be massively different. And so you can't really use the 2019 data to come up with a, a, a transfer price for 2020 when the pandemic had hit because things had changed so significantly. The, the prices um, in 2019 could have been a lot higher than were actually um, available in, in 2020 or the other way around. So again, sorry to keep saying this, but I, what businesses need to do is document, document and document. They need to record what happened in the business as a result of the pandemic. How did that business react? What did you do internally? What were your thought processes? What decisions did you take and why did you take those decisions? And you need to write those things down now before you forget because um, transfer pricing inquiries won't happen overnight. It will take quite a long time for that to, to feed through. And if you then have to think back, right, well, what were we doing in 2020? Yes, there was a pandemic, I remember that, but what on earth were we thinking about? What were our competitors doing? What was the market doing? If you write it down now, it'll be clear in your, your minds. It'll be quite easy to, to, to refer back. And tax authorities will always take into, take into account with formal weight something which is contemporaneous, which is at the time, rather than something that's done after the fact, um, a long time after the fact. So record what you did last year. Record, you know, while it's still fresh in your memory. Um, and obviously a good advisor will be able to help you do that and make sure that they can that you're recording the important points that revenue would be interested in if they were to, to open a, a transfer pricing inquiry into your business. So COVID-19 was a unique, you know, what, what's happened to us over the past 12 months is completely unique. And so, you know, not quite all bets are off, but the rules are changing. The way we approach things will have to change, certainly temporarily. So the the best way of doing that is to say right this is the reality this is what happened and this is how we reacted and then the, the transfer pricing will flow from that rather than well this is what happened in 2019 so we're we're trying to we'll, we'll use that as, a, as an approximation because it's not an approximation in, in a lot of cases okay and, and you mentioned there like rules are changing temporarily but but do you think like the COVID 19 pandemic will have a lasting impact on transfer pricing I do. I, I think certainly for the foreseeable future, um, it will have an impact because, um, as you've mentioned, it, governments around the world have, have had to meet costs which they were not anticipating. Nobody could have anticipated. Um, provided a lot of support to individuals and to businesses, paid for things that they, they didn't know they were going to have to pay for, you know, and all of that is a cost that the governments can't really afford to, to keep on their books, if you like, so they will need to pay it. Um, and to do that, they need to raise revenue uh, through taxes. And every government around the world will need to do that. And whilst some of that tax burden will inevitably um, fall on individuals, they will want to minimise the impact on individuals because, being cynical about this, individuals get a vote and no government wants to overtax um, the people who they'd want to, to vote for them. So, th logically, it would follow that um, the tax burden will shift more onto the corporate sector and corporate entities will, will almost certainly be taxed more highly than, than individuals. Um, Again, it, it seems logical that governments will want to tax overseas entities because that's not going to impact, impact on their own population. So that will be true in all territories around the globe. So if you operate in Ireland, but you operate with other territories, then 
that territory that you operate into um, or operate with will want to increase its tax take and may well look at transfer pricing as a means of doing that. And so the transfer pricing globally should be about everybody getting a fair share of the pie. Um, you know, as I said, where, where the value has been added, that's where the profits should sit. Um, I think as a result of, of COVID-19, the that share that that pie will each each government will want more than their fair share of that pie they'll want to maximize their revenues from overseas entities so unless you've got robust documentation which shows the approach you've taken demonstrates that that approach is reasonable fits within the oecd guidelines and and therefore produces an, an equitable result in each of the territories that you operate in you will be vulnerable to to an inquiry in any territory where you operate and therefore um, you would have the expense of trying to defend that inquiry, not having the information. You know, if, you're not, if you haven't got a, a, a local file and a master file where you need one, that will cause you a serious issue in terms of, of not being able to defend yourself. And, and I think with COVID-19, transfer pricing is going to become very highlighted um, across the globe uh, as a means of governments trying to recoup the money that they've, they've had to spend. Uh, and it's it's something that multinational businesses need to be aware of and and that's not just the the enormous multinationals it's also any smaller operations where you've got an overseas subsidiary here or there um, you need to make sure that you you can defend the position and defend the pricing that you've included in your returns in each country that you're operating in thanks anthony for that insight into the transfer pricing regime not only in ireland but worldwide and certainly what I've taken from what you've just discussed is that transfer pricing is a possible tool now for the Irish government and also governments worldwide to increase their tax take and possibly fill the gap in exchequer receipts due to the COVID-19 support measures that have been introduced both in Ireland and worldwide. Also, certainly documentation is a key tool for managing any revenue query in this area. So that's it for today. Tune into our Tax Time podcast next month where we will be discussing the latest tax issues that may affect your business. If you need more in the meantime, visit our website where you'll find many fact sheets and insights into the topics we've discussed today. And certainly you will come across our transfer pricing guidelines and our key information bulletins on this topic.